Hey everyone, this is Chad, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking time to listen to my latest sermon. It will play in just a minute. Before it does, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast. This is the best way to make sure that you know when we upload new content, and we have some exciting new audio content in the works. You won't want to miss it, so make sure to subscribe. Also, if you find these sermons valuable, please consider leaving us a rating or review on your podcast host. This helps our sermons be heard by more people, and we think that's really important. And finally, if God uses this sermon to impact you, please let me know. All you have to do is email respond at creekside.me. I'd love to know how God used my words in your life. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. As we finish praying for that church, uh, it's pretty clear, (laughs) I guess what I'm about to say, and, and that is that at times it's really hard to find the words to say, right? Like it's really hard to find words to pray. And uh, this life is is such a drastic roller coaster sometimes. I mean, we can just be so happy in one moment and life can seem so good and then we just get one phone call where they they say something, you know, and, and then life seems terrible all of a sudden. Um, I've told this story a lot of times and I... I don't know why it's become like one of my main preaching stories, <clears throat> but it's it just stood out to me. And uh, if you're if you're new, then maybe you've never heard me tell it, but or you've been around a long time. I'm sorry, uh, but my cousins right over there, Jared and I were at the no, I, it wasn't Jared. I was picking up my cousin Felicia, his sister who lives in Oklahoma, and uh, and I was in the airport. He might have been with me. He was with me. I'm thinking about it now. Sorry, I should know this story, right? <laughs> and. Uh, and we're at the airport, and we're waiting for Felicia to come out, and Felicia takes forever to do anything, so we were probably standing outside of the, waiting for her to get off the airplane forever, and, uh, and, and so we're standing there, and all of a sudden, this girl runs off the plane, and she's so happy, and she hugs an older gentleman, looks to be like, you know, a grandfather, maybe an older dad, somewhere in that age range. They're hugging. They're so joyful. There's another woman there. They're excited. And and I don't know what it was, but their their joy was uh, an attention grabber. It was, you know, a lot of people are happy when they come off an airplane, but there was something different. Like, it was like wa- watching, they used to have like long lost reunions on TV shows sometimes when I was a kid. You remember that? And people would be all excited because they hadn't seen each other in decades. That doesn't happen anymore. Maybe because of Facebook. That's not like a thing I see on TV. I'm not sure why. But uh, but they'd run to each other. And it had that kind of infectious uh, aura to it. And so we're both paying attention, not really saying a word to each other, Jared and I. And and then the older gentleman whispers something into this uh, early 20-year-old girl's ear. And, and she just starts crying in a bad way like everything changed and and now they're holding each other and and just mourning and and starting to weep uh, and I mean there's like tons of people at the airport that day and it, it was just crazy we noticed this moment and and life is like that right like 
it, it just can be this giant roller coaster of emotion. I, I think of uh, uh, just a little over two years ago now, and uh, if you've been around, you also know just how uh, much we loved our dog, Roy, and uh, how he was like our child for a long time as, as we kind of struggled to have children. And, uh, and, and he died in August. And it, it, frankly, I mean, the loss of a pet for me is like, is just, it's the, one of the worst things I've ever dealt with. And, and so we're like crushed. And we had two cars stop working during that month. And we had to get some money from my parents because of all the vet bills that we had spent money on and, and cars dying and, uh, and nobody likes to borrow money from their parents, you know, and, uh, and then, and then in September, Hazel was born and that was good, right? And, and, and I just, I think, I'm not sure how I got through it because it was this just such wild swing of emotion for us that I still think we're a little bit tired a couple of years later, just from the wild swing of emotions that we felt during that time. And um, life's like this. And through it all, like, we want to do a good job of living, right? And these wild swings just make that a hard thing to do sometimes. Like, we want to progress in our Christian faith, but, but sometimes life's so happy and we forget about God, and at other times life's so terrible and it's hard to think about anything other than dealing with the tragedy that's right in front of us and getting through that. And uh, if you've been around church circles for a long time or any time at all, then you know that, that in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of joy and everything in between, that you should be reading your Bible and praying, right? Like that's the thing that we all think of if you sit with any other Christian and you ask this question, which I sometimes ask, if God could call you on the phone and tell you three things you're doing well and three things you're doing not so well. People really struggle to figure out what the good things are, and then they inevitably have two bad things. Well, I should be reading the Bible more. I should be praying more. And then they're totally stuck. Like, that's the end of all Christianity, to read your Bible and pray more. And, and here's, I think you, you kind of know this, that a lot of times, if you're a person who consistently reads your Bible and consistently prays, that, that sometimes it still feels like something is lacking in your desire to, to do something to make yourself better at living for God, especially in the hard and good times. Because in those moments, it's like, yeah, I'm reading about righteousness, but it's just not connecting at all. And so this morning, I like I just want to add one. I just want to add something to that prayer and reading the Bible. And the next time we sit down together and, and I say, hey, what's three things God would be telling you to do better? You could say prayer, reading the Bible, and this, this one other thing. And, and I think, and this is going to be so, if last week's sermon was crazy to you that you should be singing, you know, with all your heart when we're gathered together, uh, then this one might be crazy. Here, here's what I think we should add to the mix. I think that singing should become a part of what we traditionally in Christian circles call our devotional life. I think that singing is kind of the, the, third, uh, the third leg that should support our Christian life and help us grow in the Christian life, especially, I'll add, when life is difficult or life is really joyful. And 
I will add to that even, I think we should specifically be singing uh, the Psalms. Uh, We've seen in this series already that the the Psalms are connected to uh, the message of Christ dwelling richly within us. Makes them kind of a big deal. And we've seen that the Psalms are connected to the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. And specifically singing the Psalms are connected to these things. And and today we're going to see that the Psalms, I believe, and singing them are connected to life's circumstances. Now here's, here's what's so interesting, I think, about the Psalms that, that maybe we forget most of the Bible, but the Psalms really, we see this. The Psalms are written between covenant and culmination. That means between promise and fulfillment of promise. David, as he writes half of those Psalms, he, he had been promised by God, hey, I'm going to put somebody on your throne that's going to, first of all, be on your throne forever in your line and on your throne forever. That's a big deal. And David can't see the end of that promise. But also somebody's going to come, the son of man, the son of David is going to come and and he's going to set things right and he's going to take this kingdom to another level and it's going to be really perfect. Um, David probably had no understanding of what that kind of idea of perfection was. But David, David has these promises, but but, but he's living life, right? And he's facing all this tragedy that we talked about in the last series where his son has rejected him. And I read a psalm this last week and I couldn't find it when I went back to look for it. But somewhere near Psalm 55 where, where he says, God, like, like I would be able to handle this situation if it wasn't my good friend, my brother that had turned his back on me. And that's something we can understand, right? When a good friend rejects us, that's a tragedy. And David deals with the loss of a child and David deals with, with people rejecting his kingdom and David deals with his own sin and all the tragedy that comes out of that. And so he has these grand promises. But, but they haven't been fulfilled he's living between covenant and culmination and we live in those times right i mean we who have become christians <coughs> excuse me we have all these promises about what the future holds for us and we know what's going to take place later but we don't live in the midst of those Man, in the, in the service that I watched of Sutherland Springs before, it's the service before this terrible tragedy took place. And they sang this song that says, Earth is not my home, I'm just passing through. Isn't that incredible? And we know, like, as Christians, like, Earth's not my home. I'm looking forward to heaven. It's one of the things that probably drew you to Christianity. Heaven sounds better than hell. So yeah, I'm thankful that Jesus came and died for my sins so I can go to heaven. But I'm still here. I'm still here. And dealing with that can be so difficult. And I think, I think that part of dealing with this, we're gonna see, I'm not making this up, we're gonna see this in James, is singing. And I think singing specifically the Psalms. In James 5.13, here's what we read. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Just straightforward, right? Like, if life is bad, if life is good, if you feel uh, 
terribly unsettled or you feel great peace, if you feel terrible sadness or great joy, if you're happy or sad, then communicate with God. That's pretty much what James says in a nutshell. And, and we're, we miss that a lot, right? I mean, that's pretty simple. We could probably just stop there and, and go home. And, and I think that that would be important to all of us because it seems like there's, there's two types of people that I know in Christianity. And we struggle on one side of this or the other. And different people seem to struggle in different ways on this. But it seems like everybody I know that's a, that's a Christian struggles with this. There are people that really struggle to engage God in prayer when life is really good because they're distracted, because they're happy, because their businesses are growing, because their kids are being so successful or they're having such a great time. And so they kind of forget about God, right? And so that can be like really a struggle for some people. And then there's people on the other side when life is really bad that it's really hard to communicate with God because I don't want to communicate with you, God, or like, God, I have so much going on right now. I would really like to spend some time with you, but I need to find a job or we need to plan a funeral or, you know, like all these things that get in the way. And it doesn't, it seems like you're either on one side or the other of that issue. I, and I, maybe you've never even thought about that before. And uh, I, I just seems like people kind of fall to one of those sides. And so you either probably, uh, if you're like most people I know, you struggle with really engaging God when you're happy or you and things are good, or you struggle to engage God when things are bad and, and you're sad and, and you're hurt or you're angry or whatever. And, and James comes along here in a very simple passage of scripture and, and says, hey, if you're in trouble, things are bad, pray. Uh, if things are good, sing to God. And it reminds us that we should communicate with God no matter what. Now, kind of hidden in this, before we, we kind of look more deeply um, at this idea of singing, because that's where we're going to really hone in today, uh, but kind of maybe hidden in this, at least one author, and I'm guessing he's not alone in the world because he's one author that I read when studying for this sermon. At least one author sees in this <coughs> uh, kind of how Psalms are written especially psalms of lament where David is just, or, or the other authors are just saying, this is terrible, this is awful, God, this is horrible. And, and here we, we kind of we see that because, because the, the psalms are written, I don't know if you've read them and maybe you're, you're reading along as I've encouraged you to try to read them in 30 days with us as we go through this series, but maybe you've noticed this kind of pattern of the sad psalms anyway, and the lament psalms, it's like the author will be like, God, this is terrible, how dare you reject me, I can't believe you're letting my enemies win, I've served you my whole life, I've done my best to, to live for you, and now, God, you've rejected me and you've turned your back on me. And then there's this moment of, of switch, a switch. It's like a light bulb. It's like the author will go, but God, I trust you, and I will praise your name forever. Sometimes it's just one verse at the end. You're like, wow, that's quite different than the rest of the prayer. But it's almost as if this, the authors of the Psalms are reminding themselves like, like I don't feel anything I'm, I, I'm about to say, but I need to remind myself that God has been faithful to me forever and it's my job to bring him glory no matter what I face. And at least one author sees the Psalms of Lament and, and how this little verse here in James 5.13 is written. Hey, if you're in trouble, you just pray and you pour out your heart to God. But if you find any level of peace in the midst of that trouble even, even if that trouble's still there, then you praise God for that peace or that joy or that hope that you find in the midst of it. 
And this word so fitting, this word trouble, is, is not just like you're in trouble, the way my daughter might think of it, like you've been naughty. And, and now you're in trouble. This word means to suffer evil, and that makes it far more kind of encompassing, right? Because we suffer evil in just so many ways. I mean, we suffer evil when people do terrible things. We suffer evil just when we read about terrible things people have done. We suffer evil when, when we feel attacked in our own souls. We, feel, we suffer evil when, when we give in to sin and we pay the consequences of that sin. I mean, to suffer evil, that's something I think, man, like every day, in some ways I'm suffering evil. And we know this. I mean, it's becoming more clear. Evil is, is just all around us. It's all around us. It's one of the reasons we don't like to read the news in my generation anymore because we kind of want to bury our heads in the sand and pretend that evil is not all around us. But it is. It's all around us. Now that Facebook sends me news things all the time, I read about some of the most heinous, evil acts. Somebody cooking a ferret their their friend's ferrets last week i mean like what like this is not real like this is from a scary movie but these are this stuff comes up like i i think every single week i read something and i'm like that's not possible in my hometown just within the last couple weeks they sentenced two kids that killed uh, one of the kids parents they were they were old high school kids or right after after high school kid they killed one of the kids parents because they wouldn't give him money for meth they just shot him in cold blood like what this like this is crazy and it's crazy because evil is all around us and we need to be praying in first thessalonians 5 16 through 18 part of this is really famous rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of god in christ jesus for you we should be praying without ceasing because evil is all around us and really evil is attacking us on all sides and we can feel that now more than ever. But First Thessalonians, uh, is this pray without ceasing part, and we forget this. If you've ever thought about pray without ceasing, you forgot that it's sandwiched by rejoicing always and giving thanks in all circumstances because it's God's will for you. And even as we pray in the midst of suffering and hurt and pain as evil attacks us, we should be praising God and James tells us that even if we find a glimmer of hope in the midst of our trouble, we should be singing to God. We should be praising God to use the word uh, that we often use. I don't know why I wrote this. Sometimes my mind is super weird. But I wrote this, if you're happy and you know it, sing. Instead of clap your hands, you see what I did there? I don't know why it came into my head, but it did, and I wrote it, so now you have it. And, and here's the reality throughout <laughs> biblical God history, right? Like the history of God interacting with people. There has been an emphasis on singing that we don't seem to have in our modern culture today. Now, we do have an emphasis, maybe an overemphasis on the emotion of singing within the church, like, we like the rock show and, and the lights and all of that stuff. And, and there may be, in some Christian circles today, uh, an overemphasis on some of that emotion and things like that. But what I'm talking about is personal singing, individual 
singing. And last week we talked about corporate singing and how you're not doing your job if you're not singing with all that you are, with some emotion and remembering the grace of God. When we sing together, you're, you're frankly just not doing what God would have for you, and you need to check to see if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. There was more to it than that. That's probably the harshest way I could say it in one second, but uh, so go back and you can't listen to that because of recording problems, but uh, I wish you could listen to that. But uh, but today, today, we're not talking about this, this corporate thing that we do. We're talking about singing as an individual. And as Americans, we kind of sing in the car and we sing along, but, but we, like, it's kind of foreign to us just to express ourselves through songs, right? And there's cultures around the world where, where people still, like, they, they sit in, in pubs and, and they sing together. And, and when they're gathered around a campfire, they, they sing together, right? And, and you see this with, with people in, in tribes that are less kind of touched by by uh, Western culture, that, that people will just sing, and, and they'll just sing out of their hearts, and it, it, they may not even have planned music, but they sit around and they sing. But in kind of modern American culture, we think, well, I might sing to the radio, but I'm not just going to express myself through song, and that's, that's different than what we see through the history of God. And let me just give you some examples starting way back the first, I think, song that we see in the Old Testament is by Miriam and Moses, and they've just crossed the Red Sea. If you don't know the story of Exodus, the Jewish people were enslaved at the hands of the Egyptians, and God did a series of miracles of plagues to get them out of Egypt and they fled from the Egyptians but the Egyptians chased them and then God parted the sea called the Red Sea in the Middle East and they passed through on dry land and then the sea crashes in on their enemies that have been persecuting them for years and years generations and generations and and he sets the Israelites free and they're out in the desert and the first thing that Miriam and Moses do is they bust out in song. Exodus 15 is called the Song of Miriam and Moses. That's what your little chapter title in your Bibles call it. Their natural response was to make up a song on the spot and to begin to sing it to God. In Numbers 21, 17, and 18, we read this about this kind of response to the story that maybe you know. Uh, The people after they're out in the desert, the Israelite people, after they've gone through the Red Sea, they're kind of stuck in the desert. They're wandering around. They end up out there for 40 years. But at an early point in that 40 years, they're like, God, at least in Egypt we had water. And God says, hey, Moses, just go strike that rock right there and I'll, I'll give him water. And he strikes the rock and the water comes spewing out and all the people have something to drink. That's the part of the story I grew up with in church and with my grandma. That's the part of the story I really liked. It made God seem so faithful. The part of the story that, that we never were taught, that nobody ever talked about, is, is at, at Numbers 21, 17, and 18, that the people break out in song. It's like the natural reaction at the sight of God saving their lives and doing work. They just sing. It's what they do. In Judges 5, 1, this lady named Deborah, because a bunch of men would not step up to the plate and lead, she leads. And she's successful over the enemies of Israel. And in Numbers 5, 1, Deborah breaks out in song because of the work that God has done. (coughs) 
In 1 Samuel 18, 6, David and Saul have come back from beating a bunch of Philistines and a bunch of enemies. You, you know this if you were here during the David series. I mean, uh, David, they say, has killed, or Saul has killed his thousands and David is ten thousands. But they're singing because of the success of the Israelite army, which is really the success of God. In Isaiah 5.1, Isaiah busts out in song as he reflects on the, culmin, uh, on the cultiv- cultivation of Israel and what God has done for them, cultivating them and growing them. And it's actually in the future. It's about what God's going to do, I think. Song has just been a part of it. Isaiah 12.5 says, Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. And I find this interesting that there's two books that talk about singing more than any others. They're Isaiah and Psalms. And they're the two books that are quoted more than any other books in the New Testament. And I don't know if it's a coincidence or not. It might be full well a coincidence. But I find that interesting that they they talk about singing more than any of the other Old Testament books and they're the books that get quoted more than any of the others by Jesus and the disciples and the apostles and all the people who God led to write what we have in the New Testament. Zephaniah 3, 14 and 15 says, Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. Sing! Look what God's done, sing! And that's kind of what I want to say this morning. Look what God has done, sing! If you're like, look what God has done in my life. Look what God has done for me. Look how God has blessed me. This is what James is saying. Sing! And we know now, right, that we should be singing the Psalms. Because when the New Testament writers and when the early church thought about singing, they thought first and foremost about singing the Psalms. And there is no way, and I think James, if he was standing right next to me and said, yeah, I was inspired by the Holy Spirit. What were you thinking about when you were talking about singing? I, I just, no way, there's no way that James would say, well, I was thinking about the Psalms, at least partially, right? Because this is what they sang. And then you just, you just turn to the Psalms and I told you that I, I did this thing where I recorded, I was, I was journaling on the Bible. I said this last week and I, I just made a note because I had finished a sermon series on singing and so it was kind of in the forefront of my mind and, uh, and, and every time the Bible said sing or something about sing, I just kind of said sing. I just wrote the word sing in all capital letters. I typed it on my iPad. I don't know why I did this, but I typed it on my iPad, sing. It's incredible. It's just over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Sing, 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 sing. And we're like, we should read the Bible and pray more. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, look, most of those are in Psalms. And I just think that a man after God's own heart, right, which is how the Bible describes David, and he writes at least half of these Psalms. And then we just see these, these passages about singing. Psalm 511, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them and those who love your name may rejoice in you. Psalm 717, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. 
I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 9-2, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. Psalm 147-7, I did some at the beginning and some at the end. There's a bunch in between two in Psalms. Psalm 147-7, sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. Psalm 149.5, let his faithful people rejoice in this honor. I want you to notice this last part. And sing for joy on their beds. Right? Like, this is devotion. This is what we talk about when we talk about quiet times. That's an older phrase in Christian circles. I mean, this is what we talk about when we talk about why we should wake up early. We always say, oh, I should read the Bible and pray more. I got this great devotional and I'll read it a little bit. But what David is saying is is you wake up early and yeah, read your Bible and pray. That's great. He has a whole psalm devoted to how great the precepts, the laws of God are. Psalm 119, it's very long. But David is also saying, get up and on your beds when you're rising or when you're going to sleep, you sing to God. You sing. And we know, we know, because this is what the early church sang, that we sing the Psalms. King James Version just translated it that way. Is any one of you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any one of you merry? Let him sing Psalms. And we, know, we sing. We, we should just be breaking out in song. We should be singing the great Christian songs of history. We should be singing the great new Christian song. But we should also be singing the Psalms. And I'm just going to make a case now, even though James says if you're sad, pray, and if you're happy, sing. I'm going to make the case now that, that even when we're sad or when we're hurt or when life is terrible or when evil surrounds us, that the Bible shows us, if not tells us, that we should be singing to God. In First uh, Chronicles 29, 29 and 30, when the offerings were finished, the king And everyone present with him knelt down and worshipped. King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and bowed down and worshipped him. And so here's, uh, actually, I just want to read that because, because it actually says, like, this, they're singing the Psalms. He's like, hey, we're going to break out here. We're going we're gonna to praise God through song. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn to the words of David, Psalms, and we're going to sing those. Pope Benedict 17 said, these inspired songs, talking about the Psalms, teach us how to speak to God, expressing ourselves and the whole range of our human experience with words that God himself has given us. Jesus sang the Psalms. Did you know that? In Matthew 26, 30, we read, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's the Hallel, most scholars will tell us. That's what's sung at the end of the Passover meal. And that would have been Psalms 113 through 118. And so the only expression of Jesus singing in the Bible is Jesus singing the Psalms. If you want to WWJD, if you want to be like Jesus, then you must be a person that sings the Psalms. Interestingly enough, there's two other passages about Jesus being a singer. And this is just a side note, but in Hebrews 12, 2 and Romans 15, 9, you can see these things about Jesus singing, uh, the risen Christ singing. I find it very interesting. 
But as I said, also, when, when things are tough, when things are difficult, we see that singing and, and the psalms are a proper response. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in the last book he ever wrote, wrote a commentary on the book of Psalms. If you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a priest during, uh, during the Holocaust, and he just was looking around and seeing that even Christians amongst him had turned to evil had turned against what God would want for them, and he just, he didn't even know how to handle it. He, his final plan was to, uh, to assassinate Hitler, and he was arrested and then killed just days before the war ended. But, but he writes his last thing, and he writes on Psalms, which doesn't surprise me, right, given what we've seen about the Psalms. And he called it out of the depths. And the Psalms are so good because they come just out of the depths of, of the author's souls, and therefore they connect with the depths of our souls. At the beginning of the church, Peter and John are arrested for preaching about Jesus, for telling people that Jesus had come to earth and he had died, sin, he had been sinless and then died and he had risen again, he'd come back to life. And the people really didn't like that because Peter and John are like, you sinned against God and then you crucified the Savior of the world, but good news, he got out of the grave and if you give your life to him, you can be, you can be a Christian and you can go to heaven and you can reap the benefits of this life and death that Jesus lived and died and the people didn't like that very much because it was a direct assault against some of them who had chanted, crucify him, crucify him, as Jesus was arrested. And so they arrest Peter and John and they put him in jail. And Peter and John get out of jail and they rejoice because they're excited that, that God had counted them worthy to suffer with Jesus and to suffer for Jesus. And then they get back together with their church. And this is what we read in Acts 4, 25 and 26. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. They quote a psalm when they're praying. Their first response is to quote a psalm. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. The psalms were their natural expression of prayer when the church first faced the evil of persecution. They turned to David. I mean, imagine the fear, right? I mean, we've given our lives to this, and the first thing that happens after we give our lives to this is that the leaders of this are arrested. That's turmoil, right? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? Let's pray. And let's pray what David said in the Psalms. And then on the singing side of things, there's this guy's named Paul and Silas, if you're not familiar with the church, and they're going around the known world telling people this same story about Jesus, that he had come, lived sinlessly, died on a cross for our sins, for all the things we had done wrong. He had been killed in, uh, unjustly, and then he had risen again from the grave, and if you don't place your faith in him, then, then you're eternally punished, but if you will, then you can have eternal life. And you can enter into a relationship with God, you can be a part of the family of God, you can be adopted by God, all these great benefits. And they're followed around by this girl who has an evil spirit in her and she's yelling out this stuff and they get sick of it and Paul turns around and 
cast this evil spirit out of her and, and she was making people money because she was able to do some crazy stuff because of the evil spirit inside of her. And so they're mad that Paul's done this and then they arrest Paul and Silas and they're thrown into this prison and they're put into shackles, which is sometimes used as a torture device, but it's your legs are basically strapped up so that you can't go anywhere and sometimes the legs are pulled all the way apart in order to stretch you in unnatural ways and cause pain. And, and these prison cells were probably layered with the poop of people who have been in them before you. This is not our modern day prison and there's probably no light and they're sitting in this jail cell and they shouldn't even be there and they have every right to say, God, why have you done this to me? I can't believe we're here. I can't believe this is happening. What's going on? And then about midnight in Acts 16, 25, it says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. You see, they were in trouble but yet they had peace, and so they were praying and they were singing in the midst of all that evil that had thrown them into jail and maybe tortured them, all because they were doing the work of God. And throughout history, we've seen people do this. Some of us know, right, if we've kind of accepted singing as a part of it, that that, that singing connects in a way that, that nothing else can, right? I mean, we find our own expressions in songs. Sometimes as we sing songs in church, they're not even that deep or that rich, but music has a way of connecting with our souls that will touch us in a way that nothing else can. But when you add in the words of the Psalms, when you sing the psalm, not only are you connecting in this God-given way that is music, but you are connecting in the realest, deepest way through the Psalms. One author said, all theologians and leaders of the church have believed that the Psalms should be used and reused in every Christian's daily private approach to God and in public worship. We are not simply to read Psalms. We are to be immersed in them so that they profoundly shape how we relate to God the Psalms are a divinely ordained way to learn devotion to our God. As I've said throughout this series, the Psalms speak to us and the Psalms speak for us. And if we are going to truly be devoted to God and face the bad and the good and grow through them and continue to live for God through them, I'm just telling you, then you're going to have to be willing to sing the Psalms to God. I'll just tell you that, that I said like we live between covenant and culmination. But what's so interesting to me is that even in culmination, we're going to sing things that are from the Psalms. If you open the book of Revelation, I'm going to tell you what the book of Revelation is about. You may not understand this. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, you've been stuck going, what? Right? But this is what the book of Revelation is about. It's about worshiping Jesus no matter how bad things get. And this book is written to seven churches that are going to be persecuted terribly by a guy named John who's being persecuted terribly. In fact, he's been sent to an island. He's been arrested for preaching about Jesus. Tradition tells us that he's actually been boiled in water and he survived it because of his faith in Jesus. And he's on this island and God gives him this revelation, this vision. 
and we think, well, the vision's about telling us what happens at the end. I'm going to tell you what the vision is about. The vision is about, is about how great it is to worship Jesus, even if it doesn't feel like it. And in the midst of Revelation, it's just these clear scenes where the gates or the curtain of heaven is pulled back and John gets a picture of it and he looks into heaven and he sees what they're doing. You know what they're doing? They're singing and they're singing the Psalms. And he's looking to these people. God is looking at these people to whom John is writing this book and it's so clear what he's saying. He's saying, look, I understand that you live between covenant and culmination, but you should continue to worship me, to sing to me, to live for me. Because even in culmination, you'll understand how worth it it was. And you'll be singing the same songs for eternity. You'll be singing the Psalms even. The mutant, I just, so here, here's the deal, and I, I want to make this crystal clear to all of you. The New American Commentary says, Music is a vehicle through which a message is delivered. The medium of music, therefore, must remain secondary to the message. I believe all that, but we know what the Bible says now, and we know how it can connect with us when we sing. Amos 5.23 says, Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. It's not some magical pill. You can't just start singing the psalms and all of a sudden improve your Christian devotion. It must be sincere and it must be real. But you must do it. You must sing. And you must sing the psalms. Now I can hear a couple of responses. One, I don't have a good voice. Let me tell you, neither do I. So here's what you do. You find somewhere where nobody can hear you except for God. <laughs> this is going to be key to your success if you're actually going to put this into practice. You go out into the middle of the woods. That's not really my style. I, 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 if I'm going to sing the Psalms, I'll tell you when it's going to happen. It's going to happen before even Bryn wakes up in the morning, before any of my kids are out of bed, because I don't even want to put them through it, you know? Um, and so, but here's, here's the good news on that side. You, you find a place where nobody can hear you, but there is nothing more beautiful there is no instrument more beautiful instrument more beautiful than the human voice to the ears of God. I believe God has, has given us instruments. The instruments have been important to God. But throughout history, what you see is people singing. Not everybody turns to the harp like David, right? That's not something that we can all copy. But every one of us can sing. It's just like talking, only louder in the words of Elf. Don't know why that came into my head, but it did. Now, here's the other thing you'll say. You'll say like, well, how do you sing the Psalms? I don't, I, there's no musical notes written down. Like, what, am I, what do I do? And here's, here's my response to you. Well, you can Google music, singing the Psalms, and you'll find a whole bunch of stuff. In fact, on our Facebook page, and we'll continue to do this throughout this series, we're gonna post albums of people who have turned the Psalms into music. Some of them are just outright the Psalms, and some of them have been repurposed in order to fit Christian themes, and I think that's beautiful and awesome because we live after Jesus and not before Jesus. But there's albums out there where you can do that. And so if you're not capable of sitting down and grabbing a guitar and putting psalms to music, which I am not capable of doing. I told you the six chords I can play it last week. I forgot one, by the way, seven, D suspended. But if you're not capable of doing that, then I suggest you get on this thing called Google. It's on the internet. And you type a little search in there, psalm set to music, and you will find a lot of stuff. I just believe, I really do, 
I really do. That if we are going to truly progress in the Christian faith, despite the ups and the downs of the Christian faith, then we are going to have to sing, and we are going to have to sing the Psalms. Another author said this, The Psalter is the favorite book of all the saints. Each person, whatever his circumstances may be, finds in the book of Psalms, in, in, in the book, Psalms and words which are appropriate to the circumstances in which he finds himself. And they meet his needs as adequately as if they were composed exclusively for his sake in such a way that he himself could not improve on them nor find or desire any better psalms or words. That's Martin Luther. The psalms speak to us and the psalms speak for us. In Romans 8, 26 and 27, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God and we think that part of that is, is you know, uh, metaphysical that is supernatural that God is moving in us a lot of people would point to speaking in tongues in response to that verse and what the spirit is doing in us and all that's fine but I think some of that is is the Holy Spirit drawing us to the Psalms and saying look what I've given you you don't know how to pray here it is I already led David to write down how you ought to pray I want to say it again John MacArthur said a spirit-filled Christian is a singing Christian. And last week we said that's a corporate thing. And this week I'm telling you that that's an individual thing. A spirit-filled Christian is a singing Christian. And I give you the benefit of the doubt that you've never thought about it before, that you've never paid attention to singing in the Bible, but you no longer have the benefit of the doubt. And so when you say, what would God tell me I should do more of? You ought to say, read the Bible, pray, and sing the Psalms. Because, as another author said, as the Psalms have remained strong, the church has been relieved, excuse me, revived, and personal spiritual life has been enriched. Let me read it again so I don't mess it up. As the Psalms have remained strong, the church has been revived, and personal spiritual life has been enriched. Through the ups and downs, through it all, we must be a people that alone as we sit before God, sing the Psalms. Let me pray that you'll put that into practice. Lord Jesus, we live in a world that just more and more we don't know what to pray, God. And, and, and I know for me personally, I, it, it was easier, God, before I felt like I saw everything that goes on in the world. God, I used to just have a few problems in front of me. I didn't have to think about everything that exists that, hurts our world, where evil pops up, God, because I, I, I didn't see it. But now, because of social media, because of the internet, God, I feel like I know more and more about the terrible things that exist. And God, I'm left going, I can't pray big enough things, and I don't have enough time to pray for all of this. But God, you've given us such an incredible gift You've given us the Psalms. And Lord, you've given us another incredible gift and you've given us the incredible gift of singing. And Lord, I know for a lot of people just singing is an uncomfortable thing to do. But Lord, we are commanded in James to sing as we're happy. And Lord, we see that throughout the history of your people, 
It's been the natural reaction to sing. And so I pray, God, for the people in front of me, even those in the band, Lord, that we would overcome being uncomfortable, worrying about what our voices sound like, worrying about what others might think if they hear us. And we would only turn our attention to you in the ups and downs of life, God, and we would overcome all that and we would be a people that sing. God, I pray that when we come together, we would sing from our hearts. We would sing with passion. We would sing remembering your grace as we talked about last week. We would sing with all that we are, Lord. But I pray, God, that we would do that during the week. And Lord, you know that I'm convinced that part of the reason we struggle to sing together when your presence is unique and when we're inspired by those sitting around us, part of the reason that it's hard for us to do that is because our devotional life when we're not together is dry or maybe not existent. And I believe, God, if we will incorporate the singing of your psalms into those devotional lives, that we will grow. And when we gather here, God, we will sing collectively in a new way because our devotional lives will have been warmed and our relationships with you will have grown. God, let us be a church that sings together and let us be a church that sings alone, God, because we serve such an incredible God. Lord, I'm amazed at how the love songs of the world or the breakup songs in my case can connect with us so deeply. But Lord, you have placed in our hearts a new song, a song of righteousness and hope and grace and peace and love because of what you've done for us on the cross. And I pray, God, that we'd sing and we'd mean every word of it because of who you are and what you've done for us. I pray these things in your name. Amen.